Chapters twenty eight through thirty of Out of the Shadow by Rose Gollop Cohen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty eight. The next morning, when I came into the shop at seven o'clock, I saw at once that all the people were there working as steadily as if they had been at work a long while. I had just time to put away my coat and go over to the table when the boss shouted gruffly, Look here, girl, if you want to work here, you better come in early. No office hours in my shop it seemed very still in the room even the machine stopped and his voice sounded dreadfully distinct i hastened into the bit of space between the two men and sat down he brought me two coats and snapped hurry with these from this hour a hard life began for me he refused to employ me except by the week he paid me three dollars and for this he hurried me from early until late he gave me only two coats at a time to do when i took them over and as he handed me the new work he would say quickly and sharply hurry and when he did not say it in words he looked at me and i seemed to hear even more plainly hurry i hurried but he was never satisfied by looks and manner he made me feel that i was not doing enough late at night when the people would stand up and begin to fold their work away and i too would rise feeling stiff in every limb and thinking with dread of our cold empty little room and the uncooked rice he would come over with still another coat i need it the first thing in the morning he would give as an excuse i understood that he was taking advantage of me because i was a child and now that it was dark in the shop except for the low single gas jet over my table and the one over his at the other end of the room and there was no one to see more tears fell on the sleeve lining as i bent over it than there were stitches in it i did not soon complain to father i had given him an idea of the people and the work during the first days but when i had been in the shop a few weeks i told him the boss is hurrying the life out of me i know now that if i had put it less strongly he would have paid more attention to it father hated to hear things put strongly besides he himself worked very hard he never came home before eleven and he left at five in the morning he said to me now work a little longer until you have more experience then you can be independent but if i did piecework father i would not have to hurry so and i could go home earlier when the other people go father explained further it pays him better to employ you by the week don't you see if you did piecework he would have to pay you as much as he pays a woman piece-worker but this way he gets almost as much work out of you for half the amount a woman is paid i myself did not want to leave the shop for fear of losing a day or even more perhaps in finding other work to lose half a dollar meant that it would take so much longer before mother and the children would come and now i wanted them more than ever before i longed for my mother and a home where it would be light and warm and she would be waiting when we came from work because i longed for them so i lived much in imagination for so i could have them near me often as the hour for going home drew near i would sit stitching and making believe that mother and the children were home waiting on leaving the shop i would hasten along through the street keeping my eyes on the ground so as to shut out everything but what i wanted to see i pictured myself walking into the house there was a delicious warm smell of cooked food mother greeted me near the door and the children gathered about me shouting and trying to pull me down mother scolded them saying let her take her coat off see how cold her hands are but they paid no attention and pulled me down to them their little arms were about my neck their warm faces against my cold cheeks and we went tumbling all over each other soon mother called supper is ready 
there was a scampering and a rush to the table followed by a scraping of chairs and clattering of dishes finally we were all seated there was browned meat and potatoes for supper i used to keep this up until i turned the key in the door and opened it and stood facing the dark cold silent room chapter twenty nine in proportion as life in the shop became harder it also became harder at home i had to do the washing and cleaning at night now one night a week i cleaned and one i washed i used to hang my dress on a string over mrs felberg's stove to dry overnight in the morning i pulled it straight and put it right on the rest of the night i slept during these days i could not seem to get enough sleep sometimes when i remembered how a few months before mother had to chase me to bed with cries and with scoldings it hardly seemed true that time seemed so far away so vague like a dream now on coming into the room i would light the lamp and the kerosene oil stove and put on the soup to cook then i would sit down with my knees close to the soap-box on which the stove stood to keep myself warm but before long my body relaxed my head grew heavy with the odour of the burning oil and i longed to lie down i knew that it was bad to go to sleep without supper two or three times father woke me but it was no use i could not eat then and so i tried hard to keep awake but finally i could not resist it the cot was so near just a step away i could touch it with my hand i would rise a little from the chair and all bent over as i was i would tumble right in and roll myself in the red comforter clothes and all it was on these nights that i began to forget to pray but it was only during the first part of the night that i slept heavily after that i was half asleep half awake i was in constant fear of being late to work often in the middle of the night i would wake up with a start tumble out of bed scarcely conscious of what i was about and run to the clock which we put on the table for the night there i stood peering at it unseeingly for a long while gradually i would realize where i was what i was about and that i must see the time and only now i could see the hands of the clock distinctly both on the twelve perhaps how happy i felt when it was still so early with what a feeling of joy and relief i lay back on the pillow and closed my eyes but if i happened to wake near five i would not close them again for fear of oversleeping that was about the time that father left one morning when i started up into a half-sitting position i saw at once that the light in the lamp was turned up a little and on the table lay the larger part of the loaf of bread and so i knew that father had gone i peered at the clock and it seemed to me that it was a quarter to seven very late with my eyes half shut i slid out of bed hastily and began to dress seeing all the while the boss's eyes glaring at me threateningly it did not take me long to put on my frock and the coat i always put on as soon as i had the dress on because it was so bitter cold in the room i buttoned every other button on my shoes and just smoothed my hair back leaving the tangles for saturday i broke off a hunk of bread snatched a piece of newspaper and blew out the light as i felt my way to the door and through the dark hall it struck me how quiet it was at the felsbergs and the little old woman's and all through the house at other times when i started the whole building was full of life now as i was passing i just heard a door open and close softly and a slight noiseless movement here and there in my hurry i did not stop to think about it but hastened on i drew the street door open the next moment a fierce gust of wind tore it from my hand and closed it with a bang i had seen that a heavy snow had fallen overnight i stood for a moment shivering with cold and fear 
then i wound my braid around my neck under the collar and pulling the hair over my ears a little i drew the door open again and stepped out quickly there were no steps it all looked flat and white the wind moaned and whistled and here and there a huddled dark form hurried along over the white i tucked my bread under my arm slipped muffwise each bare hand into the opposite sleeve and started to run i seemed to be running very fast and yet i saw that i was making little headway the wind was fearful it struck against my chest constantly at one moment it wound my calico skirt about my knees and i could not take a step the next it blew it way up in the air and i had to put it down with my hands i stopped and took some minutes to unbutton my coat with my stiffened fingers and to fold the fronts tightly over each other on my chest the cold lay on it like an iron weight and i could not breathe then i bent my head before the wind and ran on soon i was exhausted where am i i wondered i stopped and looked about it looked so unfamiliar with all the white underfoot and the rows of houses on each side of me standing so still they looked like stone walls it is like a prison i thought suddenly it seemed to me that i was in prison and the dark forms were pursuing me and i ran in terror i turned this way and that way not knowing nor heeding now where i was going my skirt flapped and the wind blew the snow into my face blinding me as i ran i tried to run clear of the walls but i saw that they were on each side of me enclosing me whichever way i turned i finally came into a space where i felt the walls rose higher than ever and the space between grew narrow there was something familiar to me in that though i dared not look about i ran to a door stopped and clung to it and pressed my face against it my eyes closed my numb fingers groped until they found and closed over something which they recognized at once instinctively i had run to the shop and now i stood before the door holding on to the brown porcelain knob I was never so happy before to see the shop door. I leaned against the door and looked at the dark windows of the shops opposite and realized gradually that I had left home too early. The shop must be closed, I thought. I must wait here until it opens. I pressed into the corner of the door. The wind kept flapping and fluttering my dress and sweeping the snow back and forth before me. Soon I felt my knees bending of their own accord and so I sat down i saw my bread slip from under my arm it made me feel a little uneasy to see it lying there on the snow and so i watched it for a moment i put out my hand to tuck my dress about me and i felt my head lean back against the door i was beginning to feel very comfortable i seemed to be sitting on something soft and i no longer felt the cold the wind was growing quieter and quieter and the street lights shone so faintly i felt a slight pressure on my arm then it became heavier and soon i felt myself being shaken quite roughly and a familiar voice saying for god's sake girl what are you doing here it was the presser from our shop he helped me up and asked me again what i was doing there i wanted to explain but could not move my tongue so i just looked at him come quickly into the shop he said he caught hold of my arm pushed the door open and pulled me along with him even now i remembered that he was a soldier and tried to draw back but i doubt whether he even felt my resistance he drew me along into the hall and up the dark narrow stairs he unlocked the door propped me up against a wall and said now stand here until i light the gas when there was a light he put me on a chair near the fireplace covered me up with coats and then began hurriedly to shovel the ashes out of the grate into a pail 
I kept my teeth closed tightly and sat watching his every movement. He soon had a crackling fire. He lifted my chair close to it and made me hold my hands out. I saw him empty one little bundle of wood after another into the grate. I won't put any coal on until you are quite warm, he said. It would take too long to burn up. Then he mumbled to himself, When he sees how much wood I use this morning, he will hang himself, and I'll never hear the end of it. When my tongue had thawed a little, I told him how I happened to be out so early. Then he asked me whether I had anything to eat. I remembered that I had dropped my bread near the door on the snow and told him so. He went out and found it. Good, he said. You have bread and I have some slices of smoked salmon. He took it out of his overcoat pocket, wrapped it in paper, drew a chair close to the fire, sat down and held it out to me. I said, I don't care for any. He looked offended. If you won't accept anything, he said, it means that you would not give anything of yours either. To show him that it was not so, I began at once to break my bread in half. But my fingers were still too numb, so I gave it to him. Good, he said again. You will take half of my salmon and I'll take half of your bread. He cut the bread with his penknife, which he never for a moment let go out of his hand. It is from home, meaning from Russia, he said, flashing the blades before me. While we sat eating and holding our hands to the fire, he told me about himself. He said that he had escaped from the Russian army a year before, and that his wife and two-year-old little girl were still in Russia. He was trying to save and send for them. As I watched his face while he was talking, I wondered that I ever disliked him. I thought now that he had a very kind face, and if it were not for his long moustache, which he often twirled, he would have been good-looking. I also told him about father and myself and mother and the children in Russia. I told him that we hoped to send for them in the spring. That is why I am working so hard, I said, looking at him earnestly. He looked at me too, and his eyes seemed to be laughing at me. But he said seriously, Yes, you have to sweat for your slice of bread. He rose and stood for a moment, looking at the door and listening. There he comes, the vampire, he said. I hear his footsteps in the hall. Chapter 30 That morning I could not get warm in the shop. The boss gave me three coats to do instead of two, by mistake, I thought. I spread two on my lap, and the third I hugged close to my chest as I worked on it. I should have also liked to keep my own coat on. But I was afraid that if he knew how cold I was, he would think I could not do as much work and would send me home and make me lose half a day's pay. Chills were running up and down my back, and I could scarcely bend my fingers to hold the needle, and I pricked my thumb. My fingers were so numb that I did not feel it. Indeed, I did not know it until I saw a tiny red stain on the white sleeve lining. I looked and looked at it, and could not at once believe my eyes, and my heart pounded with fear. I wondered, shall I take it to the boss at once? He will make me pay for it. How much is a sleeve lining? Fifty cents, perhaps even a dollar? I determined not to show it to him at once. I finished it, folded it, and laid it on the floor under my chair. When I finished the other two coats, I took them over to the boss. I felt sick at the very thought that he might ask me for the third one, but he did not. He looked at me crossly and wanted to know whether I was sleeping over my work. All morning I sat thinking about the bloodstain and wondering what the price of a sleeve lining was. Finally I could not stand it. I had to know. I bent over the table toward Betsy and asked how much a sleeve lining is. Why? she wanted to know. I am just wondering, I said, 
She looked at me sharply. Have you damaged one? she asked. My face began to burn. I bent my head low over my work and did not answer. For the noon meal all went out except the presser and Betsy. I pulled the coat out from under my chair and looked at it. I was so miserable that I could not help crying. Betsy looked at me in surprise and the presser came over. I showed them the stain. The presser thought he could take it out with benzine. He took it over to his table, and there he rubbed and rubbed it with a tiny cloth and held it away from him and looked at it from all sides. Finally he became impatient. An unusual thing is stain on a coat, he said, and flung it into the pile on the boss's table. End of chapter 30